Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. When was the first time that you saw a fly? A fly for fishing, of course. Now, it's probably impossible to nail down the first time that a fly was somewhere in your consciousness, but do you remember the first time you saw that and you took notice of it? I think I can. Uh, in the bottom of my dad's tackle box. Now, my dad fishes, but he's not a fisher he's not an angler i mean he does it just fine it's just not what he does uh, but when we were kids he'd take us fishing and he had a tackle box and that tackle box is one of those plano style tackle boxes where when you open the lid the little tray would kind of swivel up with it and i think it was a two-tiered tray and as a kid i remember th- being just fascinated by all the little compartments and how everything in those compartments was different and unique uh, there was weights there was hooks there was worms there was crankbaits, there were spinners, there were spoons, there was a fish to scaler, there was a bunch of random, you know, just stuff in the bottom of the tackle box, but also down there, there was a little plastic disc with a swivel uh, window on the top of it, and as you spun that little swivel window, you had access to the little compartments in that orange plastic disc, and inside each of those compartments, there was a fly, and those flies were a eclectic assortment of random flies that probably came from just some Midwest tackle shop. There was a a little bumblebee fly. There was something like a moth. There were mosquito-looking bugs. There were uh, bigger mayflies. And every one of them had a bright red tail. And I can't remember if it was a little bit of, like, hackle fiber or if it was some red-dyed, like, calf's tail or something. But I remember every one of them had a bright red tail. And they intrigued me because I knew nothing at that time, at that age, other than casting a bobber with a little snelled hook at the bottom with a piece of corn on it to catch panfish. So these bugs look interesting. I never fished them, but I remember seeing them. That was the first time that I saw a fly. So where do you get your flies? Do you get them from little plastic compartments? The, the reality is, I'm sure those things fish just fine. I bet you could catch the most wary, skeptical, wild trout on a bumblebee fly with a bright red tail if the presentation was right and the conditions uh, were conducive to fishing for that fish. I'm a firm believer that presentation trumps pattern. That being said, we like to have a lot of flies. We like to make our presentations easier by presenting something to the fish that is going to be a reasonable facsimile of the kind of thing that it is going to eat. So consequently, we procure flies. 
Now, they might be very old. They might be uh, something that is, is crusty from the bottom of uh, a parent or grandparent's tackle box. Or they might be something brand new that you tie. Or maybe you buy them off the internet or you buy them from your local fly shop. All of those are viable ways to procure flies. And that's how people have been getting flies for decades, for centuries. Uh, it is totally reasonable to look back uh, 100 years ago and see people tying their own flies seeing people inheriting flies from other people, seeing people go to their local fly shop or tackle shop or sporting goods store or gas station or whatever it would have been and buy some flies that were hand-tied locally or what was done via catalog only just a, a couple generations ago is now done online. So these are all reasonable ways to get flies. There are pros and cons of each. And this is one of those topics where people are incredibly opinionated over the reason being is it's something that people talk about, and consequently, people feel the need to argue about it. Now, I'll start off by saying I think there are some flies that are better than other flies. I think that the really, really bad flies will catch fish. I think that the really, really good flies have the potential to fall apart very quickly just based on using them. But I think that generally speaking, whatever flies you catch fish with are the best flies for you to use. But of course, there's going to be some pros and cons for buying inexpensive flies uh, and some pros and cons from buying some more expensive flies. Some pros and cons from buying flies from a, a person who you can look in the face and talk to. And some pros and cons from buying flies that may be coming from somewhere across the ocean. So I'm going to talk about a couple of those things and also try to answer the question that I've heard a bazillion times, and that's not an, an overstatement, of is it more cost effective to tie your own flies? So let's uh, talk about pros and cons of buying from the different uh, uh, places where you can procure flies uh, first. Why would you want to buy a fly from a person? Well, you can buy a fly from a person, and it might cost a little bit more money. I did a little bit of kind of cost analysis, very rudimentary, nothing fancy, no spreadsheet. And what I found is that especially when you buy in bulk, so we're talking a dozen flies, and that's I know that's not bulk, but it's, it's definitely more than buying one or two flies. When you buy a dozen flies or two dozen flies, then you're looking, generally speaking, for something like a dry fly, a nymph, or a simple streamer at anywhere between two and four dollars a fly for hand-tied domestic flies. Now, there's going to be a wide range of variables that are taken into account. And, and I'm also not talking about big, chunky streamers. I'm not talking about precise cat skill dries that are maybe more suited for a shadow box than for a, a tackle box. I'm talking, just generally speaking, fishing flies. I went on a half dozen uh, tires websites of people I know, people who are going to be talking at fly fishing shows, people who have a good reputation for being good fly tires, and for their dry flies, nymphs, and simple streamers. We're talking between 2 and $4 when you order in quantities of a dozen to two dozen. Now, what's the benefit of that? The benefit of that is that you have an opportunity to talk to these people. And you can say, hey, this is the color I'm looking for. Can you tie it in this color? Can I have the tails a little bit shorter? Can I have the wings a little bit longer? Can I use an extended hook instead of a traditional hook? And you're able to have that customizing uh, option. Now, not all fly tires are going to be agreeable to that, especially if they're cranking out 
many, many, many patterns and larger quantities and maybe selling from kind of a, a catalog experience off of their website, uh, then, then they're maybe not going to be willing to do that, but a lot of them are. And so that is a great benefit. And that's something that might be worth another 10 to 25% that you're paying. So if you get down to the per fly uh, basis, that might be worth you paying $3 versus $2 to have that fly that is exactly to your specs. So that's that's the kind of the, the pro and the con. It's going to cost a little bit more money. It might take some time. Now, again, if you have a small operation, somebody who this is not their primary vocation, for a lot of people, this is not their primary vocation to be a fly tire. It's just it's, it's very difficult to sustain yourself. Then you, they've got other things that they're doing. So when you put an order in for a dozen, uh, you know, size 14 caddis with a with you know your particular specs on it, it might not be ready tomorrow. It might not even be ready in three days. Maybe take a week or ten days to get it to you. So that is a con. But that's that's the the price of handmade. That's the price of of made to order. Now you jump down a level, and again, this is not to be disparaging to these flies. It's just it's not as premium, it's not as custom, and it maybe isn't uh, you know American made or locally made if if that's something that matters to you. And that's buying from a fly shop or buying online. Now I will say, buy from a fly shop if you have the opportunity because this is where you're able to weed out poorly tied imported flies. Now there are some very very good tied imported flies because there's some people, some organizations, some companies that source their materials and their labor in an ethical and a well thought out way. And I didn't have the time and I didn't I, I didn't want to wade into those murky waters of calling out the bad and emphasizing the good on this podcast. But you can you can do your research and you can figure out and you can talk to your local fly shop and say, hey, where do you get your flies from? Why do you choose them? Why do you choose this distributor versus that distributor? But then when you go into the fly shop, you can look in that little cup and you can pick through them. And whether they're tied in-house or whether they are they are imported from somewhere else, and imported could even be domestically, but they're brought in from somewhere else. You can wade through that like handful of uh, of of mayflies and say, you know what, this one looks a little bit wonky. Its wings look a little bit crinkly, like they didn't use the best feathers they could have used. I'm going to take a different one, and that might take a few minutes. But you're probably going to find the flies that you want, and you're going to be able to turn down the flies that you don't want. Because honestly, if you order a dozen flies from somebody and two of them are a little less than perfect, are you going to mail back two flies? No. But if you go to a fly shop, you're able to weed out those flies. And generally speaking, again, fly shops, you're going to find you know between 2 and $4 a fly for those nymphs, dries, and basic streamers. So that is kind of the, the the next tier. So those very well may be custom flies. They very well may be uh, imported. But then when you order online, you're kind of running that risk of what I was talking about before. You're maybe going to get a better deal because they have less overhead if they're going from some sort of online source. They're probably dealing in greater quantities, especially if it's a reputable seller. Um, we, you know, the, It's not necessarily the reputation of their flies that's reputable, but them as a seller, they're probably dealing in a lot of quantity. They're shipping all over the United States, maybe all over the world, and so they're able to offer better deals. And here it's better deals. And here's where you see fly prices dip down to a dollar to three dollars a fly. So you might say, you know what, two to four dollars, one to three dollars. What, what's what's the big difference? Well, of course, if you're talking about dozens and dozens of flies, that does start to add up. For some people, that's not a deal. That's not a deal breaker. It's it's not a it's not a place of concern. But for some people, that is a, a point of concern. You know, I do want to save fifteen percent, ten percent on on how much I spend. That that, that matters. 
and, and I'm willing to have a, a maybe a substandard fly or take a, a roll of the dice on the quality of my flies because a uh, uh, budget is a, is a significant concern for me. And, and I get that. But again, do your homework, read reviews, talk to people. Where do you order your flies from? And you'll be able to figure out who does a good job and who doesn't do a good job. So what do you look for when you buy a fly, whether it be from a big name, custom local tire, or it be from just a kind of a, a, a no name shop on the internet? When you get those flies, there's a few things that I like to look for. And, and, and I'm certainly not a professional fly tire. I'm a, a novice fly tire. But what do I like to look for? I like to look for consistency. Because consistency, although somebody might have a pattern that's a little bit wonky, um, consistency is uh, evidence of care that's taken in how these flies are tied. Usually it means that the materials are being sourced well, that thought is going into the materials, that it's not just, okay, I'm going to take the top of this uh, feather for a wing and the top of the next feather is going to be the next wing. No, they're, they're trying to be consistent across matching up their wings, matching up their feathers, making sure that the widths of the bodies are consistent. Because if you have the, the, the mindset that trout are going to be very particular, other fish are going to be very particular, and then you want to know what you're throwing. When you reach into your fly box and you have a line of 12 hairs ear nymphs, uh, and you don't want three to have slender bodies, three to have chunky bodies, three to have bodies that are somewhere in the middle, and three to have bodies that are kind of uneven. You want them to be consistent. Um, now, given the fish might not care, but if you're paying money for it, that's something that you want. So that's something that I, I like to look for. Are the flies consistent one to the next over a, a dozen flies? Something else I like to look for is the heads. How did they finish these flies? Uh, did they have tight wraps? Is it a well-tapered head if there's an, enough space? There's, there's not a bead. There's not big you know, eyes or something like that. Uh, if in flies where that there is a thread-finished head, is it tapered well? Is the knot tied well? And has the head cement been applied well? Uh, one of the biggest uh, you know, frustrations in the world is having uh, hook eyes that are covered in head cement. It is just, it, it, it's useless. It's terrible. It, in the wintertime, it's one of the largest frustrations that you can imagine. And again, that just goes to show, uh, you know, it's, it's an accident that happens every once in a while, but it goes to show if this is consistent from fly to fly, from batch to batch, from order to order, that the attention that you want to be seen in your flies is not being shown. So I look at the heads, I, I look at the bodies, and look at the proportions. Um, is this the way the fly is supposed to look? you know, is this going to float in the, in the right way uh, if it's a dry fly? Or is the, the, are the hackles really, really tiny and this thing is going to ride funny? Uh, when you look at the, the fly head on, are the hackles uh, palmered well in that they are palmered, palmered consistently um, around? Just basic fly tying things uh, that uh, really anybody can notice. So again, consistency, how does the head look? And then just basic technique, proportions, and distribution. And those are the things that I look at when I am looking in a fly shop or when I'm, when I get some flies, I check out just, just for curiosity's sake. Say, is this someplace where I'm going to go back to again, or maybe I want to try somebody else. Now, not every fly can be perfect. And again, when you're ordering online, when you don't know where these flies are being sourced, then to have the expectation is, is going to be, is a little unreasonable, but that then gives you an informed decision the next time you go to order online. So to kind of recap before I get to the, the tying yourself piece, uh, ordering from a custom local or some other domestic tire is probably going to be your highest quality product, but it's going to be a little bit more expensive, but you also have that, that customization option. 
getting from your fly shop is great because it may very well be somebody in-house that's tying it, or but it also could be uh, brought in uh, from, from somewhere else, uh, potentially even internationally, which there's nothing wrong with that uh, as long as it's being sourced ethically and they are, they are, they're good flies. But that's going to require you to look at them, but you have the benefit of going into the shop and looking at them. Probably going to be a little bit cheaper than the, the custom fly tire. And then the, the third tier, um, not, not uh, you know, qualitatively, but just the third tier as we talk about things, is going to be just ordering them um, online from maybe a retailer that doesn't have a brick and mortar. And there it is kind of a crapshoot, but you are going to get probably the best deal um, when, when you order that way. Okay, the last five minutes, tying yourself. Now, this could probably be a podcast unto itself. This is actually something that uh, my buddy Tim Camisa at Trout and Feather, I'd, I'd like to hear his thoughts on this. Now, he's, he's, a, he's a fly tire, obviously, but he's also about just getting people to catch fish. So he has a, a good perspective on this. So the question is, is it more economical to buy your flies or is it more economical to tie your flies? Now, as with anything else, the, the first and biggest caveat is that there's a huge well, not huge. There's a significant upfront cost to get started to buy your vice and your tools. Now, you can get real budget bargain basement fly tying tools and vices for something like $25 and be completely set. And you know what? You're going to be able to tie your, your skill is going to be what makes that fly good. Now, are your scissors going to be super sharp? Is your vice going to be able to give you the tension you need to apply um, you know, pressure on the thread it, with a really, really cheap setup like that? Probably not. So there are going to be limitations that even your skill can't overcome. But that is, of course, the largest caveat. But once that's out of the way, and I think most people understand that, that you know, you don't have to spend $500 on a vice. You, know, you get a decent vice, decent set of tools, maybe around $100. And you're not just doing that from a pragmatic sense of, okay, now I can tie flies. Hopefully, you're going to enjoy tying flies also. So then the question comes up, and this is really more of the question. I think people, again, understand that you're going to have to buy tools and a, and a vice. The materials, are they worth the expense? How many things do I have to buy and how much do I have to spend to be able to tie a dozen flies or or you know 25 flies? And is it the same or is it more expensive or is it cheaper than buying them from the store or from a, a professional fly tire? Well, I couldn't look at every fly. I couldn't you know break down every material list. But this is interesting. So going online and looking at how much an Adams cost. Now, an Adams is a very, very simple fly from a recipe standpoint, you know, obviously to get your, your body to taper well, to get your proportions right, to get your wings to stand in the right place, to even be able to space out your, um, your, your wings and your hackle and your head. It takes some skill. So it's not the simplest fly to tie, but it is a simple dry fly. That's what I use as my case study. Obviously, there's patterns that can be much more expensive and much cheaper. Egg patterns, for example, are going to be much cheaper. Uh, to, to have flies that have some heavy metal on them, uh, some bigger streamers, uh, that's going to be more expensive. Flies that require a lot of precision in the hackle, the feathers that are used, those are going to be more expensive. But again, let's just stick with, with a, a normal fly like an Adams. I think you probably have a very similar answer when you talk about like a hare's ear nymph or you talk about a woolly bugger. So your basic dry flies, nymphs, and streamers once again. So what do you need? You need hooks, you need thread, you need tail material, you need body material, you need wing material, hackle material, and then I, I won't include like head cement and things like that. So how much does all that stuff cost? I went to a handful of, of retailers, both local, just on their, their websites, and some national retailers, and for $7, you can get 25 decent hooks. 
$3 to get a good spool of thread, $10 you can get a hackle chunk. Now this is the, the biggest expense when it comes to tying most flies is your feathers, especially if you're tying dry flies. Now you can spend obviously, you know, hundreds of dollars on a really good hackle cape, but you can also find chunks that are going to give you what you need to tie dozens of flies, not hundreds of flies, but dozens of flies for something like 10 to $20. And I have a number of hackle chunks um, that give you, you know, 25, 30 plus good feathers that you can use for uh, all sorts of flies for between 10 and $15. Uh, dubbing, three bucks, a little bag of that. And then, so your tail, your wing, and your hackle could potentially, if you get the right stuff, come from that same, you know, hackle chunk. And all that added up comes to about $25. That's $25 for hooks, hackle, thread, tail, and body. Okay. So you're talking about $25 for 25 flies. So it's actually about half the price of what you would pay if you were to buy them online from a from a you know a, a tackle shop or a, a custom tire um it's going to be m about the same price also as if you were to buy them from a bargain basement uh flight seller online where they're selling them for 89 cents 99 cents a, a pattern uh now again your tying skill might not be uh, up to the same level as a cheaply imported fly but you're able to control the quality as, as much as is within your skill so the bottom line is, is that you're also going to have a bunch of materials left over. You're not going to use all your thread on your, your, you know, 25 flies. You're not going to use all your, your tail material, uh, your wing material, your hackle material, the hackle chunk. You're not going to use all your, your dubbing. You're going to have lots of that left over. Your flies are probably going to be what run out first. So usually that's going to be your limiting factor. And it's probably going to be your most expensive uh, aspect of, of your fly tying as well. It, even as expensive as really nice hackle capes are, they last a lot longer than a pack of hooks. So you could buy your hooks in bulk and save money that way. But for 25 size 16 atoms, you're looking at about $25 if you're able to source those feathers um, in a way that is going to fit your needs perfectly. So I'd say between $25 and let's even say $45 for those 25 flies, and then another $7 to $10 for more hooks to start cranking out 25 more and 25 more. So it is cheaper. It truly is cheaper to tie your own flies. But of course, that all is predicated upon the idea that you're able to tie those flies. So there's some flies I just don't tie. I don't have that skill. I try, I mess around with them, but I don't want to fill my fly box with my my bad efforts. I'll throw them in my, my bluegill box. I'll put them in my kid's fly box for them to you know hang up in a tree. But then there's other flies where I just, I can't justify spending the money on them. Even if it is from a cheap online retailer, I can produce a higher quality fly much quicker and much cheaper um, than what I could buy online. I'm sure there's a professional fly attire that could make a, uh, a green weenie look much prettier than me, but I'm not going to spend the money on, on such a thing. So hopefully this is helpful. Hopefully, again, this has just kind of got you thinking. Maybe you disagree. Maybe you say, you know, your numbers are all off and, and, and you're, you're missing this big chunk. If my numbers are off or I'm missing a big chunk of the conversation, I'd love to know. I have my blind spots. I have things that I don't think about because I, I, I simply don't think about them. Let me know. Matthew at castingacross.com. I'd love to interact with your perspective on this. If you tie flies, if you hate tying flies, what your take on what I've talked about happens to be. This week on Casting Across, the first article was called The Last Time I'll Fish. And this is actually a kind of a second part of an article I wrote a couple of weeks ago, which was called The Last Time You'll Fish. Uh, 
I came to realize that there's a place that I absolutely love fishing, but that's not a destination fishery. I'm probably not going to have a whole lot of opportunities to go fish there and not a lot of reasons to go and fish there other than uh, to, to fish there. And you might say, what are you talking about? Well, again, this is more kind of a contemplative uh, approach to thinking about where we fished, why we fished there, and what that's meant to us. And I write about that in The Last Time I'll Fish. And then Wednesday's article was called A Quick Cast Back into 2021. A Quick Cast Back into 2021. Now, I've done these articles for a number of years where I look back throughout the year and look at what articles got the most pop, what things got clicked on the most. So the article that got most the most clicks, uh, which has been consistent for a number of years now, is an article called The Perfect Small Stream Fly Rod. There's a question mark at the end there. The Perfect Small Stream Fly Rod. And I don't tell you what rod to get. I, I talk about the things that will help you find the perfect small stream fly rod for you. And that was head and shoulders above any other article that was read this year, uh, last year, and probably three years uh, running. And then the most clicked on link was to a website called Finest Fly Tying Benches of Colorado. Finest Fly Tying Benches of Colorado. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of people over the year, uh, over this last year, uh, clicked on casting across and then clicked on that link on my website, um, which is awesome because these are great fly tying benches. So I'm happy that uh, Casting Across is able to send some business to Finest Fly Tying Benches of Colorado. And then I also put in some search terms. There's some random ones. I should have included some of the really weird random ones that uh, I've seen over the years. But I don't pay too much attention to analytics. That's not why I write. I don't write so that I'm the you know top five fly fishing website or something like that. Uh, but every once in a while, it's interesting to see what people are interested in. Helps me uh, inform me about you know what I write that resonates with people. And so that's kind of what I did on this article. This week's recommendation on the podcast is actually another one of the most clicked on links on castingacross.com this year. And that is the Reddington Butterstick. If you want a fun, affordable, easily approachable fiberglass fly rod, the Reddington Butterstick is a great option. There's a lot of really good, inexpensive, and good, expensive uh, fiberglass fly rods out there. But the Butterstick strikes a great balance between a faster fiberglass taper and that more traditional fiberglass stroke that you think of. It's kind of in the middle, and it's at a great price point. Uh, love the the design, the aesthetics on it. Uh, very light in hand, which uh, a lot of contemporary fiberglass fly rods have that feel as opposed to ones that you might find from 50 years ago. But they come in weights from one to eight, and just you know come in uh, just under $300. I think between $250 and $300. Just a great fly rod uh, for somebody who wants something a little bit different, or maybe somebody who's fished uh, you know less expensive fiberglass fly rods uh, in the past and wants to take a little bit of a step up. So I'll put a link to Reddington and the Butterstick on the show notes for this page on castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life. 
Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.